0: Well, if you have your Bibles, turn over to John chapter 7. We've been studying through the Gospels for quite a long time now, chronologically, and we've seen Jesus in His earthly ministry so far. And so far we've seen Jesus, He's been healing, He's been teaching, rebuking, showing His Lordship, modeling His deity, right, as well as His power and His authority. But Jesus has been showing us that He's our example and how we're called to live and not just live our lives, but how we're called to minister as well. And so over the past couple of weeks in the scriptures, we've seen Jesus begin his journey into Jerusalem, where eventually he will be crucified. And Jesus, he knows the cross is lying before him, but he goes to fulfill his mission anyway. So on his way to Jerusalem, we saw Jesus went through Samaria. And then last week we saw he went into Judea, where he was present for the Feast of Tabernacles. And while there, he went up secretly to avoid a large crowd. But when Jesus arrived there, he started to preach openly and he went into the temple area and he started to proclaim a message. And we saw at the end of the verses we studied last week, verses one through thirty one, that many believed in Jesus as a result. However, the religious leaders, they were not happy with Jesus being here and preaching openly and boldly in the temple area. And so last we read, the religious leaders were disputing with him. So we're going to pick it up where we left off last week in John chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 32. But before we read these scriptures, let's just go ahead again and commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. God, we know that your word is powerful. It's alive, Lord. And Lord, we know that your word is what we need, God. And so we come before you today, Father, asking, Lord, that you would feed us, Lord, from your word. Father, that your words would be spoken, not the words of a man, Lord, but the words of your spirit, Father. May you have your way in this place today. Lord, challenge us, encourage us, and move in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 7, verse 32, look what it says there. The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. So the Pharisees hear the crowds murmuring. What is it that they are whispering amongst themselves? Well, if you look in verse 31, we see the answer to that. Many came and said, when the Christ comes, will He do more signs than these which this man has done? Many people were coming to believe in Jesus based on what He was teaching, and they were whispering amongst themselves, could this really be the Christ? Could this be the long-awaited Messiah that we're looking for? And the Pharisees, they did not like hearing this from the people. The Pharisees and religious leaders were dead set against Jesus in the message that he taught and their response to people believing in Jesus was to have Jesus arrested, right? The religious leaders could see the result and the fruit of Jesus's ministry and the response was to try to stop it and that we would see the Pharisees would spend much of their time trying to stop the message of Jesus Christ throughout his ministry. They would continue to do this for the early church with Peter and John and Acts 4 and all throughout Paul's life as well. The religious leaders did not want the message of Jesus to spread. And the same is true today. Satan does not want the message of the Gospel to be spread. And so, of course, he's going to do anything he can to keep it from being spread. Satan knows that there's power in the name of Jesus. He trembles at the name of Jesus. And therefore, he doesn't want the church to go out and to share the message of the hope of Jesus Christ. We were here last night to do a praise and worship night. And I'll tell you what, these spiritual attacks were... They were real, from tech problems to lights blowing up. Satan didn't want us here because he knows there's power in the name of Jesus. And when the church comes together to pray in the name of Jesus, there's power in it. When we go out and bring the message of Jesus, there's power in it, and the enemy does not want us to do that. But here's the thing, there's never been a time for us as Christians to be quiet in our faith, especially now as many are seeking and trying to know who the Savior is. We cannot be silent in our faith. And when the world tries to silence us for sharing the hope of Jesus Christ, we need to keep on sharing it. Because God did not call us to be quiet Christians. He called us to be Christians who proclaim boldly what Jesus Christ has done for us. So the religious leaders, they send these temple guards out after Jesus. Now, who are these temple guards? Right? Because we know the Jewish people were under the, the reign of the Roman Empire. Do they have their own military? Well, no, but they did have temple guards within the temple, and they were a security force for the Sanhedrin, right? And they were meant to maintain order in the temple. And so the religious leaders, they send these temple guards out to arrest Jesus. So let's see what happens with Jesus in these guards in verses 33 through 34. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Now, this is truly amazing, right? As we see Jesus responding to these temple guards, you have to understand the context. No one would ever question the authority of the religious leaders, especially if they send temple guards after you. But Jesus here is showing that he's not just a mere man. He is speaking as he is God. And he's asserting authority and power over even these temple guards, right? He spoke with authority to them. There's something different with Jesus, and these guards are going to find this out. They could find out that they could do nothing outside of the will of God. The Pharisees wanted Jesus arrested. The guards went to do it, but they couldn't. Why? Because God didn't will it to happen. God is provident and He's sovereign. And it was God's will that Jesus would not be arrested now. He would not be tried yet. It wasn't time for Jesus to face the penalty of death. And so we see, once again, a great example of Jesus, a bold witness, And a life that's truly overflowing with the Holy Spirit is one that's confident in God's authority and confident in God's will for us. Now, in Jesus' response, he tells these guards that he'll go to the one who sent him. Jesus said that he would not be taken by man. He was going to go out according to the will of God. He was going to go to God himself. Jesus was speaking from a position of being submitted to God's will. He wasn't submitting to man's will. And I had to think as as I read this, What are we submitting ourselves to? Are we submitting to the will of man? Are we submitting to our own will? Or are we submitting to the will of God? And it's a tough question, right? Because submitting to the will of God is not a comfortable thing to do. Because God requires us to do things that go against what our flesh wants to do, goes against what this world tells us to do. But as Christians, we need to be fully submitted to whose will? To God's will. Now, Jesus tells these guards that he's going to go to the one who sent him, and this is more than likely a reference to the ascension when Jesus would be taken up into heaven after his mission was completed on this earth. And he, he told them that they would not find him. Now, this was interesting, right? What is Jesus? What does he mean by this when he says, you're going to seek me, but you're not going to find me? Well, understand, these guards and these religious leaders, they thought Jesus was a mere man. They didn't understand him for who he truly really was, right? He's God. But they didn't understand that Jesus was who He said He was. They thought that He was a mere man, but Jesus is not of this world. In John chapter 8, verse 23, Jesus said, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. And once again, these religious leaders, they thought Jesus was only a mere man. They didn't know for Him for who He truly was as God. He's not of this world. There's a There's a distinguishable difference between Jesus Christ in this world and how Jesus lived and how this world lives. And here's the thing, just like Jesus was not of this world, so we, His children, are called to be what? Not of this world. In John chapter 17, verse 16, while Jesus was praying for the Christians of the world, He said, they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Let me ask you, has your life been lived this week in the world, or according to God? And maybe you're here today and you're a Christian, but you've been living in the ways of this world, and you've been dirtied by what this world has to offer you. You haven't been going to God and His Word. You haven't been in His presence. right? There's some dirtiness on you from this world because you've been living according to the ways of the world. You're starting to realize the way you talk, it sounds just like the world sounds. The way you act, it sounds it looks just like the world acts. right? And, and here's the thing, a Christian who's been muddying himself in the world, it's, it's, you really can't hide it. Just like if you were rolling in a mud puddle downstairs and you came up here and said, I'm a clean person, we could say, no, brother, you got dirt all over you. This is what the world does to us. And this is why as Christians we're called to live what? Not of this world. To live like Jesus lived according to God's will. And so if that's you today and you're a Christian, you've been dirtied by what this world has to offer, you need to get cleansed. You need to get washed. And there's great news. You can be cleansed. You can be washed. How do we get washed or sanctified? Through being in the Word of God. And Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 17, he said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. How do we get cleansed by being in the word of God? Psalm 119, verse nine, how can a young man or how can a person cleanse their way by taking heed according to your word? So if you've been dirty by what this world has to offer you, I encourage you get back in the word of God, because the more time you spend outside of the word of God, the more your heart becomes hardened to it. But we're called to be Christians of God, godly Christians who represent Jesus well. We're not called to be worldly Christians because a worldly Christian is not going to make an impact on this world for Christ. A godly Christian through the working of the Holy Spirit will. So which describes you lately, a godly Christian or a worldly one? Let's look at verses 35 through 36. Then the Jews said among themselves, where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said? You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. So the authorities, they didn't understand what Jesus said. And this isn't the only instance we see of this. This happened quite frequently with the religious leaders. We saw when, when Jesus said he was going to tear down the temple and raise it up in three days. He was referring to his life, right? He was going to die and be raised back to life. But the authorities, they didn't understand what he was saying. Right? And we saw many people also misunderstood Jesus. In John chapter 6, when Jesus said, you need to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, the people said, what now? This guy's a cannibal. We're not doing that. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying, and the religious leaders couldn't understand what Jesus was saying. Why? Because they were blinded by unbelief. They were blinded by unbelief. They couldn't understand what Jesus was saying because their hearts were so hard to who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And maybe you're here today and you're a Christian and you've been having trouble understanding what Jesus is calling you to do. You've been having a problem with what Jesus is commanding us to do. Your heart is becoming hardened to Jesus and His Word. You're becoming complacent, maybe burnt out and worn out here serving God. Well, a good indicator is your heart is being hardened because you're you're, you're distant from Jesus. You're distant from His presence. Right? These, these religious leaders, they couldn't understand. Their hearts were too blinded. And they said amongst themselves, is he going to the dispersion? Where is this man going that we can't find him? Now, the dispersion was Jewish people living in non-Jewish areas. Included within these Jews were Hellenists who were Jews who adopted Greek culture. And you got to understand, the Jewish people who lived in Jerusalem and in Judea, they hated these people. They looked down on them because they viewed them to not truly be Jews. Why are they living in those areas and not here? And you got to love the the, the response that they have, right? So they're like, well, maybe he's talking about You know, those Jews who live outside of here, because we're definitely never going to see them. If Jesus goes there, we certainly won't follow him there. That's how much they hated them, right? But they were left questioning. They didn't understand what Jesus meant. And such is every heart that does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Every heart that does not know Jesus is a heart just like these authorities. Their hearts that question, right? A heart that questions, is there really truth? Is there really hope? Is there really peace? Peace. A heart that's seeking assurance. Where will I go after I die? Every heart that does not know Jesus is a heart that's questioning. And maybe that's you today. You're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and your heart has been questioning. Is there truly truth? Is there truly hope? Is there peace? Yes. But it's only through Jesus Christ. And if you don't accept Jesus Christ, you're never going to have this hope and this peace. You're going to have a heart that's left questioning just like these religious leaders did. And for us as Christians... Jesus has brought this peace to our heart. He's brought a change to our lives. And we should be showing that in the way that we live our lives so that people can look at us and say, there's something about you. You live in such a peace. You have such hope. Why do you have such joy? What's different about you? Can people see the change that Christ has brought to your heart and to your life? Let's look at verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So Jesus, He carried on sharing throughout this feast. And John calls this great day of the feast the last day of the feast. And during this feast, remember last week, the Jewish people, they remember God's provision for them in the wilderness. Especially how God provided water for them in Exodus chapter 17. And during this feast, water would be brought and poured out at the altar and it would be symbolic of God providing And it was a way of reminder that God quenched the thirst of the Israelites in the wilderness. In context is king, it's important we understand this context because this is why Jesus is speaking in this language in verse 37. He's saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink because this is what they were remembering, how God satisfied their physical thirst in the wilderness. But now Jesus is doing something different. Now he's addressing their spiritual need. Jesus is teaching these people, you've been, you've been celebrating this fulfillment of a physical need, but there's something so much deeper that you need. It's a spiritual need. And within Jesus saying what He said in verse 37, He is showing that He once again is God. He is the way to salvation, and He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. But Jesus is addressing the spiritual need. Why does He do this? Because even if physical needs are met, it doesn't mean the spiritual needs are. Ultimately, the need of every human heart is to be reconciled to God. That's the desire of every heart. The issue is not a physical one. It's a spiritual one. And Jesus knew physical solutions are not going to be the answer for a spiritual issue. And what a lesson we could learn from Jesus here because so many people want to go out and meet physical needs instead of sharing the gospel. And I'm not saying physical needs are bad. I don't downplay that at all. We're called to do them as Christians. And we shouldn't be doing less, we should be doing more, but our priority must be to preach and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has to be our priority. Because physical needs met are not a solution for a spiritual problem. And this is why Jesus is addressing this here. So what does this invitation mean that Jesus gives when he says, come to me and drink? Well, the word drink here in the Greek language is a word that's an alternate tense, and it means to nourish unto eternal life. And so when Jesus says, come to me and drink, he's saying, come to me and you will have life. If you want to have eternal life, if you want to have forgiveness and you want to have hope of salvation, you need to come to me. What a different message than what this world teaches. The world teaches there's many ways to heaven. Oh, what you believe is okay. Believe what I believe and what you believe. You can believe both of them. It's okay. No, there's only one way to salvation and one way to life. It's through Jesus. He says, come to me and you will be nourished unto eternal life. Come to me and drink. Who are we pointing people to when we share the gospel of Jesus? Are we pointing them to a church? Are we pointing them to ourselves? Or are we pointing them to Jesus? Jesus is the only one who's going to satisfy any heart. He's the only one who's going to bring life. You know, we have good ideas and good attentions, good resources, but they can by no means save a heart. Only Jesus Christ can. And in order to have our spiritual thirst quenched, in order to have life, we must place our faith and trust in Jesus. Now, on a different note, and this is quite a tangent, but I think it's a good application for us to remember. As Christians, where is it that we're getting our nourishment from each day? Are you going to drink of Jesus daily? Are you going before him to be satisfied in his word? Are you going before him in his presence? Are you taking care of yourselves spiritually? Because there's many missionaries who want to go out and do God's work, but they're going out on worldly supplements. They're going out in their own strength. They're going out dehydrated spiritually. They're going out without going to Jesus and being in His presence. And what's the result of this? You're going to burn yourself out. Are you drinking of Jesus daily? Are you prioritized being in His presence? Taking that time aside to say, Jesus, this time is yours. And I'm not going to let anyone take it. I'm going to be in Your Word. I'm going to be in prayer. I'm going to be in fellowship. I'm going to worship You. Are you taking care of yourself spiritually? Or are you trying to serve God on worldly supplements? For all the athletes in here, if there's any, right? If you're training to do something, maybe you're training to run, you're training to become good at a sport, you need to take care of yourself. And if you go put down a few dozen from Dunkin' Donuts, it's not going to help you, is it? No, you're trying to do physical things with putting garbage in your body. And a lot of Christians are doing the same thing, trying to do God's work, but putting in worldly supplements in order to do it. Putting in their own strength in order to be effective for the work of ministry. We need to be drinking of Jesus daily, going to Him, feeding on His Word, being in prayer, nourishing ourselves. And I say that that's a tangent and on a different note because I believe the context of what Jesus is saying, He's speaking of eternal life here. When He says, come to Me and drink, He's saying, come to Me and you'll have life. But last thing to note in verse 37, and then we'll move on, look how Jesus presents this invitation. And this is very different than many times Jesus taught before there's something different about this time and John tells us in verse 37 that he stood up and he cried out Jesus wasn't just speaking he wasn't speaking just loudly no he got up and he cried out if anyone thirsts let him come to me Jesus is sharing this with an urgency and a passion and it shows us that salvation is no small matter in the eyes of Jesus this isn't something that he takes lightly He's passionate about the message of salvation. He cries out because he wants people to come to faith in him. And I'm challenged by this. Am I sharing the gospel in such a way? Am I sharing the gospel like Jesus shared it with an urgency, with a passion, with a desire to do it? It's not a chore to preach Jesus and share the gospel. It's a privilege that we get to share of the hope that's within us. But are we sharing with an urgency? Because many times it's easy to see someone that we see every week and say, you know what, I'll share Jesus with them next week. I'll share Jesus with them when I, feel, when I feel like it. I'll share Jesus with them when it's convenient for me. It's never convenient for our flesh to share Jesus. And Jesus didn't tell us to share His gospel when it was convenient for us. He just told us, go out and preach the gospel. He didn't say, can you? He said, go out and preach the gospel. Not when it's convenient, not... Now, when we'll see that person next. We're not promised tomorrow and neither are they. Life is short. Let's not miss the opportunities that God is placing in front of us. Jesus shared this message with an urgency and we need to share it in such a way as well. Let's look at verses 38 through 39. He who believes in me as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The, this is an amazing verse, verse 38, because Jesus tells us how to have a life that's overflowing. Once again, it's through faith in Him. In this rivers of living water that Jesus is referring to is the indwelling and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And through faith in Jesus, our spiritual thirst is quenched because we receive God's Holy Spirit. We receive salvation. But I want you to notice, it's not just a mere indwelling that we receive, but also an outpouring pouring Jesus is out of your heart will flow rivers of living water now what's also amazing about this is when we read verse 39 we know the spirit was not given yet because Jesus did not accomplish his mission he wasn't crucified yet he didn't conquer death he didn't ascend into heaven yet so the spirit was not given but as we read this today the spirit has been given and if you're here today as a Christian I have great news the Holy Spirit indwells in your heart and that's an amazing amazing thing We know the Holy Spirit indwells in us. He works in us. He teaches us, convicts us, assures us. He equips us. He guides us. But watch this. He also empowers us. And this is something of a trait of the Holy Spirit that we like to downplay as Christians. We lose sight that He empowers us to go out and do the work. He doesn't just equip us. He gives us the power to do it. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, But you shall receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So this is amazing. As Jesus says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, He said, when you receive the Spirit, you're going to receive power, and then you're going to go out and share. Isn't that amazing? But many times we like to get caught up in our comfort zones as Christians, and we say, well, you know what? I'm too timid to share the gospel. I can't go out and share. I'm too shy. I'm not good with words. I don't have enough knowledge. I'm not good enough. I'm not eloquent enough. Well, that's the story for all of us. None of us are equipped well enough to go out and preach the gospel, but with the spirit we are. And that's why sharing the gospel is not reserved for a pastor, teacher, or evangelist. It's for all of us as Christians. And each one of us can do it because the Holy Spirit empowers us to do so. Romans chapter 11, or chapter 8, verse 11, Paul said the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, the same spirit lives in our hearts. So we should be living in this power of God because the Holy Spirit has made His home in our hearts. So why are there so many Christians living as if God were powerless? Why are there so many Christians living in bondage to sin and in dwelling addiction? It doesn't have to be this way because the Spirit's in our hearts. The Spirit has been given to us. We don't have to be slaves anymore. We've been given freedom. We don't have to live like our God's powerless, our God's alive, and it's greater than anything in this world, greater than any demonic force, greater than any fear. When you live your life, do people see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do people see a difference in the way you live? Are you overflowing into the lives of others? And I want you to notice one more thing, and I kind of already mentioned it, but I'll mention it again. When Jesus said we receive the Spirit, He says, out of His heart will flow rivers of living water. That tells us that God doesn't just give us His Spirit to indwell in us, but also to be outpoured. He wants to use us to share the message with others. He didn't save us, To keep our salvation merely to ourselves, we're to go out and share it. And we use this analogy a lot, but it's a good eye-opener. If everyone is sick and dying around you and you have the cure, are you going to keep it to yourself? Are you going to go out and share it with people? We have the solution. And it's not us, it's Jesus Christ. We know we're to have forgiveness. We know we're to have life and hope. It's in Jesus. Are we going out to sharing it? Let's look at verses 40-44. through Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, "Will the Christ come out of Galilee. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now, some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. So many from the crowd responded to this invitation and many believed that Jesus was who he said he was. When people said this is the prophet, they're referring to a prophecy Moses made, right? And he said, a prophet will arise after me, him you are to follow. And so when people say this is the prophet, they're saying this is the coming one that was prophesied of, this is our Messiah. Others said this is the Christ, this is the Son of God. And it's amazing because as Jesus was obedient to the leading of the Spirit, we see that others were affected by it. Lies were affected when Jesus taught his message. Lies were affected by the ministry that Jesus did. Because Jesus was always obedient and always faithful to the Father's leading. But we also see that people did not choose to follow Jesus because they didn't truly understand who he was. There was a division, it says, right? Because some said the Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem and we know Jesus came from Galilee. So this can't be the Messiah. Well, we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He did fulfill that prophecy, but these people didn't. They only had a little picture of who Jesus was. They didn't know truly the whole story of Jesus. They didn't know truly the whole picture of who Jesus truly was. And so they didn't believe in Him because they didn't truly know who He was. And this is very common today. And many people I encounter, I ask them, when they ask me if I'm a Christian, I tell them, yes. And I said, do you know about Jesus? Have you heard of Him before? And they say, well, yeah, I've heard of him. I've gone to Christian school. I've heard people talk about him. And I'm like, okay, well, do you know why he died? Uh, No. Okay, so they know a little bit about Jesus, but they don't follow him because they don't truly know who he is. And that's why it's our responsibility to go out and share the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Because many are searching. Many want to know. But as the Word says, how will they know unless we tell them? Now, in verse... 43 it says that there was a division among the people because of jesus we've talked about this before but we know that there's a division whenever jesus teaches why because there's only one of two responses to jesus christ you either believe in him as lord and savior or you don't and the message of jesus christ is offensive to anyone who is perishing to anyone who is not a christian And many times people, they don't want to hear the message of salvation because it goes against the way that they live. They don't want to give up their sinful life. They're comfortable with it. They enjoy it. They don't want to give up the passions of the flesh. It's not an easy thing to do. And so the message of Jesus teaches a message that's very contrary to what our flesh wants. And maybe you're here today and you've been living in sin. And you know that if I give my life to Jesus, I'm going to have to change, aren't I? Well, the answer is, Yeah, when you come to know Jesus, you're not called to live the same way you once did. But the great news is the Spirit of God will give you the strength to overcome. It's not easy, but Jesus is worth giving up a lifestyle of sin for because your sin only satisfies you temporarily, and it leads to death. But Jesus leads to life. And so just like these people had, you have a decision to make as well. Are you going to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior or are you not? There's only one of two options for you. Accepting Jesus. You accept him or you don't. Let's look at verses 45 through 46. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. So John gives us a view back at the Pharisees now. They see that Jesus is not arrested. They see the temple guards coming back. Again, this is very uncommon. No one would ever go against the temple guards. But the Pharisees, they see the temple guards walk back. Jesus is still over there. He's not arrested. They're like, what's, what's going on? Did you not hear what we told you? Why is Jesus, why didn't you arrest him? And it's amazing because they didn't arrest Jesus because they couldn't. It wasn't God's will that Jesus be arrested now. The Pharisees could not stop the working power of Jesus Christ. And this should encourage us today. That as the religious leaders and ruling authorities could not stop Jesus, Satan could not stop Jesus, the grave could not stop Jesus, and nations, powers, principalities, and any force of darkness, sickness, and trials, nothing can stop the working power of Jesus Christ. And this is why even in the darkest and most dangerous of places, the message of the gospel is still thriving and churches are still growing, because the message of the gospel can't be silenced. This is why even though the Word of God has been attempted to be destroyed by man for generations, it never could. Why? Because the Word of God cannot be destroyed by man. Because it's not a man that we serve, it's God that we serve, the only God. And it's time for us as Christians to start realizing that we're not just serving a God that we made up, we're serving the one true living God, the Creator of all things. And He has no rival and no equal, and in this boldness we're to go out and preach the Gospel, because we serve the living God. The God who's alive, the only God. And this same Jesus that we read of in scripture, this same word that we read of is the same Jesus in the same word that we serve today. But back to the text, I love the guard's response. Look what they say. They say, well, no one ever talked like him, right? We never heard anything like this. That's a pretty cool story. The Pharisees say, go arrest him. And they're like, yeah, we're going to arrest him. He's, he's causing trouble. They go, they hear him, they come back, and they're like, well, actually, we actually like what, no one's ever talked like him before. It goes to show that Jesus can change even the hardest of hearts. Jesus can change even the hearts that want to go against Him. It's pretty amazing. We were just praying for Burma before. And it's easy to look at that country and these wicked people and think, they're so evil, so far gone, God doesn't. God can't save me. He can. He can change any heart. He can save anyone. Jesus, He died for the very people who crucified Him. And so it's amazing. No one's too far gone that Jesus cannot change or save. So who is it in your life that you know of who you think? They're too far gone. They're never going to come to faith. I'm not going to share with them anymore because they just reject it. Keep sharing the gospel with them because the Word of God can change any heart. Look at verses 47 through 49. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in Him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Now, this is very ironic statements that the religious leaders make here and in the verses following. It's very sad, honestly, because the religious leaders, they ask the guards if they've been deceived when really they're the ones who are deceived. They accuse the crowds of not knowing the law when really they're the ones who are ignorant to the true law because they would know that Jesus fulfilled the law and fulfilled the prophecies made concerning Him. But it shows us that these hearts of these religious leaders They were very irrational because of their hardness of their heart, because they let sin sit in their heart, and because they didn't deal with it, that envy, that anger, it caused them to become very irrational. And sin will do that. If you leave sin in your heart, it will grow and grow and grow, and it will make you think and say things that aren't true. It will turn you against your brothers and sisters in Christ. Sin's a very dangerous thing. And if sin is not dealt with, sin will take over your life, and it will kill you. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. It'll kill you emotionally, physically, spiritually. It'll kill your relationships. And if there's sin in your heart, it needs to be dealt with. These religious leaders, they had envy, anger, and bitterness in their heart. They didn't deal with it. And what happened? Their hearts were so hardened to Jesus and His message. But Jesus tells these these officers, they say, you shouldn't follow this Jesus because you don't see any of us following Him. So if we're not following Him, you certainly shouldn't follow Him. Isn't that very common today? Many people don't want to follow Jesus because they see no one around them wants to follow Him either. And maybe that's been keeping you from following Jesus. You don't want to commit your life to Him because you see the people around you don't want to either. Just remember, when you face eternity and you stand before Jesus, it's not going to be you and a group of people standing before Him. It's going to be you only. Salvation is not a, cho- it's not a group decision. It's a personal decision. And it's a decision that we need to make in our hearts. We're not called to follow the masses. We're called to follow Jesus. So church, stop following the masses because the masses aren't doing the will of God. We're called to follow Jesus and His Word. Jesus said, broad is the path that leads to destruction. And there are many who go on it, but narrow is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And this is the path we need to be walking. Now, verse 48 is a telling statement by the Pharisees because they say in verse 48 they imply that none of the rulers or Pharisees believed in Jesus. Now, that's interesting to me because we know that Nicodemus was seeking Jesus. Now, we don't know for sure if he truly committed. We're not told in Scripture, but we know that he was seeking Jesus. In John 3, he went to Jesus. We know that he would help right with the burial after Jesus died. We know that Joseph of Arimathea was a ruling member on the council. So, so why are we told that None of the religious leaders followed Jesus. Well, the answer was simple because Nicodemus and Joseph, they were secret followers, and they were secret followers because of fear. And that's not to judge these two men, but it is to say this, we're not called to be secret followers of Jesus. See, these religious leaders, they're like, none of us follow Jesus. They couldn't tell that these two men were seeking Jesus. Is the same said about you in this life. When people look at you, they'd be like, yeah, I don't even know if they're a Christian, or can they see that Jesus is your Lord and Savior by the way you live? We're called to be bold witnesses of what Christ has done for us. And, and all wisdom, of course. Lastly, in verse 49, the religious leaders, they called the people accursed, which, again, this word accursed, it means to be exposed to divine judgment. And the truth is, for those of us in Jesus Christ, we won't have to face this divine judgment. Praise God. Right? The religious leaders had it all wrong. Let's look at our last few verses here, verses 50 through 53. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house. So speaking of Nicodemus, he got a little backbone here. You know, I'll give him that, right? He said, Well, maybe we should hear him before we try him. Nicodemus was attempting to stand up for Jesus here. But the religious leaders were quick to shoot him down, and they attacked Nicodemus with ridicule. And when they said, are you from Galilee? This is a very derogative statement made by them. Because the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem looked down on the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people outside of Jerusalem and from Galilee, because they viewed them as not being as devoted as they were in Jerusalem. They accused them of not paying attention to the finer points of the law. And so when they say, are you from Galilee? was a derogative question. And they tell Nicodemus, search the scriptures, there's no prophet that arose from Galilee. Now, once again, that's interesting because we know that Jonah was a prophet from that region, the region of Galilee. And so the religious leaders, once again, they didn't truly know the scriptures. The religious leaders could not think rationally because their hearts were so hardened by sin and unbelief. And it shows us again why Jesus often called these people hypocrites, right? He called them hypocrites because they didn't truly have a knowledge of the word. And it's a good lesson for us as Christians that we should be living out that which we profess. If we call ourselves Christians, if we call ourselves little Christ, which is what the word Christian means, we ought to live like it because that's a big claim to make if we don't want to live like Jesus. But many people turn off the switch of Christian. They think it's a job. It's not a job. It's a lifestyle. And if we call ourselves Christians, we ought to act like it. And so I'll close with this verse and we'll wrap up. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Jesus, He taught us how we're called to have a life that's overflowing. It's through faith in Him. And when we place our faith and trust in Him, we receive His Spirit to go out and do His work, to be outpoured from our hearts and from our lives. And we see a great example of the religious leaders doing quite the opposite, hardening their hearts to the Word of God, not doing what God calls them to do, not understanding the truth of Scripture because their hearts were so blinded and hardened to the Word of God. And so as Christians, we're called to live a life that's outpoured, We shouldn't be keeping this faith to ourselves. We should be going out and sharing it. And here's your gentle but loving reminder that there's 1% Christian in this in this nation. And I understand we can't save a heart, only the Spirit of God can, but we can share the Gospel. And so are you going out and sharing? Can people see the Holy Spirit outpouring from your life? Are you sharing boldly the truth of Scripture like Jesus did in this chapter? Jesus showed us what a life that's submitted to God's will looks like. He acted in obedience according to God's Word. And we're called to do the same. And once again, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian and you need to make this decision. Are you going to place your faith and trust in Jesus? Are you going to give up the sin that you want to hold on to so desperately? That sin is only going to lead you to death. Jesus is the only one who can give you life. That's why Jesus said, if you thirst, come. And maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Your heart is thirsty. There's only one way to be satisfied through surrendering to Jesus Christ. And last thought, I know I just said that was my last thought, but last thought is this is important. If you're here today and you're a Christian and there's sin in your heart, you need to deal with it. If you don't deal with it, it's going to eat you alive. It's going to destroy the relationships God has you in. Sin must be dealt with in the heart of every Christian. Because if it's not, we see what happens. Look at the religious leaders. That sin sat in their heart. It grew and grew and grew. And it caused them to be irrational. It caused them to continue in sin. And it caused their hearts to become even hardened even more to the Word of God. Now the great news is we have a loving and forgiving Savior. And so if you're here dirtied by the world or you're here with sin in your heart, I have great news, there's forgiveness, but you need to come and you need to surrender to Jesus and lay your heart down before Him again. So let's pray and then we'll continue our worship.